Welcome to SECC. We pray that you are blessed today as you listen. We'll be looking at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to, to 31, just for a couple of minutes. Um, if, you, if you've got a Bible, which I hope you do, um, you might want to grab it and, and well, please, please open it. Um, so Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. And uh, I'll read it for you in a second or two. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so um, I felt led to speak on uh, the image of God and being in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. Um, because one of the questions that people ask, and I've said this many times from the front, I'm sure, um, is who am I? The, the one question the modern person is asking and probably has asked, but more pronounced, I think, these days, is that question, who am I? Who am I? And uh, most people don't really know uh, the answer. Most people are, are struggle to know how to answer the question, who am I? Um, when, we are, when we do try and define ourselves, we don't focus on who we are, but we focus on what we do. Uh, we lose sight of who we are. We say things like, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a, a banker or a solicitor or, or whatever you might be, or a school teacher, you know, or, I'm a, or I'm a Tottenham supporter. Um, which means I'm wonderful. Um, I'm, I'm a parent of two children or four children or three children, uh, whatever it might be. When people ask the question, tell me about yourself, it's the most hard question to answer. Everyone loves an icebreaker, but there's nothing worse when you have to go round in a circle and say three interesting facts about yourself and you think, I can only think of one and that's secretly about somebody else. And so it's really hard, uh, we're at a loss sometimes to know what to say. In a, a game of football, uh, one opposing set of fans might chant to the other ones, who are you? Uh, with the subtle impl implication being a bunch of losers because you're losing. And so actually this question can be quite negative. It can be quite soul destroying. Who are you? And people have absolutely no idea. It's probably the most important question a human being asks and probably the most dangerous to get wrong. Oscar Wilde um, said this, most people are other people. Their thoughts are someone else's opinions. Their lives are mimicry. Their passions are quotation. I thought it was quite a good quote from the old Oscar Wilde. Um, identity for a lot of people is often a mirroring of either what their cultural norm is or what somebody else is doing or something else or something else around them. They mirror it. They kind of become it. And I can tell you about the power of culture uh, in one very simple illustration because often our identity is bound up in what happens around us and something becomes cool and popular simply because everyone else is doing it and so we do it and then we think we've found who we really are because we feel good because we finally fit in but let me show you just how powerful culture really is we live in a world ridden with a pandemic where people think that this is cool walking around the streets with a mask just on their chin and it's become a, a fashion statement. I never knew that a mask would become a fashion statement. But it's such a fashionable thing. I can't wear one of these ones. These are like the NHS glasses of masks. Some of you have, you know, fitted in. Shame on you. But you followed the crowd. But it's that culture holds so, such power over us. And so we answer the question, who am I? By looking at what everybody else is doing. And we think, well, that must be right because that's what they're all doing. I'll follow that crowd or that fad or that fashion. And often we're more depressed than ever before. It's easy to base our identity on the wrong thing, on somebody else's opinions or thoughts. It's easy to base our, our identity on hurt and trauma. I'm rubbish, I'm useless, I'm a waste of space, those kinds of things. 
You can even discover your genetic heritage. There's something called 23andMe, which me and Jack were discussing the other day. And you can work out how, mu how much percentage you are of a particular culture. You might be 3% Nigerian, 12% um, Norwegian. And then some people go, ah, finally I understand who I really am. That must be my Norwegian heritage coming through there, as if that's going to make the blindest bit of difference. It's so easy to base our identity on our culture or the wrong thing. There's a great modern-day thrust, isn't there, um, with gender and sexuality and this uh, teaching that is in our schools, in our children's minds, about discovering their real sexual identity or their orientation. And there's such noise around this topic. Uh, it's quite dangerous in places. And actually, at the heart of it, if you think about it, is this phrase, I just want to be the person I was born to be. We have our many young people and older people say, I just want to be the real me, the one I was born to be. Or they say nowadays, perhaps more regularly, I want to be the person I choose to be. But both of those phrases are fundamentally flawed because you have no idea who you were born to be and you are the least best person to choose who you should be as well. Actually, the phrase we should use is I just want to be the person I was created to be. This is what we are not teaching people to say. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 31, I'll read it to you. It's the kind of the culmination of God's creation at the end of Genesis chapter 1. And this is what he says. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Then God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. This will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This uh, passage that I've just read speaks into the human condition, explains our created purpose as human beings. This is where you find the real you, the real us. And Genesis chapter 3, just two chapters later, explains why everything is screwed up and why we don't actually know who we are anymore, why we are currently lost. So this is the conclusion of God's creating work. Obviously, you get the same story in Genesis chapter 2, but told slightly differently with a different angle. But imagine after the mountains and the animals and the oceans and everything else, the whole universe is created. The pinnacle of God's creation is the creation of human beings, referred to as man but a generic term to mean male and female. And note in verse 31, so important is man and woman, mankind, that only after Adam and Eve have been created, of which we were all in them, in that sense, does God declare his creation very good. Six times before he says good, but now Adam and Eve have appeared, it's very good. The first time. 
Verse 28 gives us our created purpose to steward God's creation, to have dominion, not to ruin the resources of the earth, but to till it and work it and, and do all the things that we know God wants us to do. But verse 27, we see that we're created differently. We're made in the image of God. No animal, no mountain, no tree is made in the same way as humankind. We are made in the very image of God. And if you never read another verse in the Bible, that should be enough to give you a sense of purpose and satisfaction like nothing else you'd ever read in your entire life. To know that you have been made in the image of God himself should make you stop and draw breath and just thank God on your knees. Built in the image of the eternal, all-powerful God. Imagine the care he would have taken when he stuck your atoms together one by one. Imagine the love and the gentleness that God had when he put you together. Not a rush job, not a quick stick that together like when you make an Ikea bit of furniture and it wobbles a bit like that and you say, that'll do. God carefully builds us up one atom or one molecule at a time with great love and purpose because every single one of us matters and every single one of us is built in the image of himself and therefore God takes care in his creation. He made Adam and Eve and they were right and they were perfect for that brief period. I, heard, I saw a picture once, I've shown it here many times, of a guy being caught on the train and uh, being told off because he had a child's ticket. And I said, why have you got a child's ticket? You're clearly an adult. And the tagline was, I'm a child of God. Uh, you can try that if you want. It won't work out. But such was his assurance of being one of God's children. He even chanced the train. But even more wonderful than that, in this account of the creation of humanity, we know the world will soon become unequal. There'll be the battle of the sexes that will rage from Genesis chapter 3 even to this morning. Because male and female, it will be a male-dominated world. And in the world we are now, men inhabit every possible female uh, department nowadays in the most unusual of ways. It's an unequal world between men and women. Yet when God built humanity, there was none of that. Male and female, he made them. Both were equal in his sight, made in the image of himself. And then even more wonderful than that, if it could get even more wonderful. When we ponder the creation of humanity, God did not build us out of necessity. God wasn't deficient and needed us. Sometimes we arrogantly tell ourselves, God needs me. God needs me. God needs the things I do. No, he doesn't. God chooses you. God desires you. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. When God made Adam and Eve, it wasn't because he lacked something and he had to build it to make himself complete. God is the most complete being there ever was or ever could be. He is complete in himself. He lacks nothing and he never will. He can never give enough away to lack anything. He is always 100% God. God did not make us for a need or out of necessity or deficiency, but he created us on purpose. Isaiah 43 verse 7 talks of being made for God's glory. God built humanity into his creation plan to be his representatives, to look after his creation. He made us on purpose. And it's no surprise then that human beings are most happy when we enjoy God and we glorify him in our actions. And then it's no surprise that we're most unhappy when we follow us and our desires and our lusts for pleasure. We soon become very unhappy. So let's look at this image of God. What does the image of God mean? I wonder what you think. What do you think it means to be made in the image of God? Maybe it's having two arms and two legs and a head. 
Perhaps, maybe it's all sorts of things. And there are three views, and you probably can't read the bits underneath. Oh, you probably can. Well, you at the front can. <laughs> anyway, um, there are three views, three technical terms. The first is the substantive view, which just simply means that when that some people understand the image of God to mean that there's bits of us like the ability to reason or be spiritual, to have spirituality, just reflects something in God. God is a being with reason and logic, and we have reason and logic. It's a kind of faculty. That's how we're in the image of God, our ability to think and process. God can do that. We can do that. We're made in his image. The second view is what's called the relational view, in that we come onto this earth not as individuals. No man is an island but we are to be in relationship. We get married, we have children, we have friends, we have family. And so God is, of course, not one God, but who is Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is an eternal relationship with himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are eternally separate, but one. And so they're in this kind of uh, eternal friendship and sense of community. And so some people understand that the image of God means that when we love each other, when we're one in Christ, that reflects the Trinity and that's what it means to be in the image of God. Then you've got the functional view, where we basically do the things God has called us to do. We carry out God's jobs on his behalf. When we rule the world and have dominion over creation in a right way, uh, when we're reflecting God because we're doing all that God calls us to do. I read this definition, which you can read at the bottom. The fact that man, male and female, is in the image of God means that man is like God and represents God. And in fact, verse 26, that word likeness and image can mean similar but not identical. It's quite hard to define what the image of God might be. But actually, the definition above makes us realize that if you want to understand what it means to be, to be in the image of God, you don't need to understand you better, but him better. If you're made in the image of the King of Kings, then where you need to start is understanding the King of Kings better. Somebody else wrote this, um, like the, like, uh, that we're like God and the rest of Scripture from verse 27 onwards of Genesis chapter 1 fills in all the blanks of what it means to be in the image of God. So in a sense, those three views are all correct. But if you want to know what it means to be in the image of God, you have to read the rest of the story. And then you'll understand what it means to be like God and represent God when you understand who he is. So why do we feel so lost if we have this image of God in us, it's a good question. And it's a question that the world is asking, but they're not asking in the right way. They're asking, why do I feel so lost? Where do I go to work it out? They're not asking what, what went wrong after Genesis chapter 1, mainly because the church doesn't talk about this enough. But it's a good question. But in Genesis chapter 3, when they ate the fruit and humanity in the form of Adam and Eve turned their back on God, sin entered the human race. Brokenness became our reality. We were distanced from God. We rebelled against God. We all rebel against God every single day. And so now this image of God that was so wonderful, so imprinted, so clear in the first humans is now distorted in every single one who came since. It's not lost, but it's twisted. We still desire the same things that we had in Genesis chapter 1. We desire love. We desire purpose. We desire community. But because we live in a world ravaged by sin and our own rebellion, wanting to turn from God and go our way, it means that we look for those things, love, purpose, and community, in all the wrong places, often with the wrong people, and all too often in ways that do not please God, but may please others, perhaps. People say, I want to be the person I was born to be. The sad truth 
is sin is so powerful that we're born with it. The moment of conception, you have a sin problem. The moment you're born, there is a brokenness that only Jesus Christ can repair through faith in his death and resurrection. So therefore, even if you could go back to the first minute of your life and understand everything about you in that little moment, even that would be flawed. Because even that has got the brokenness of sin in it. It doesn't mean that that little baby is bad, by the way, I'm not saying that. But we have a sin problem. We will never understand ourselves properly because we are distant from the God that made us. And so, the only way to understand who we really are is to ignore popular culture, turn off the internet, follow the voice of God only. Only then will a human being truly be at peace. And that is ultimately why Jesus Christ came. He came to die at his death and resurrection when we put our trust in him. The image of God begins to be progressively recovered in us. Why do Christians change after they give their life to Jesus? It's because he begins to chip away all the bits that aren't of him, untwist the twisted image of God, and then one day on his return, that work will be completely completed, fully restored. And so who are you this morning? If you're watching from home, who are you? A better question is who are you allowing to define you? Do you know the God that made you? Will you let him restore in you the image that he created first? Will you tell those searching for themselves in the darkest reaches of their own hollow lives to stop looking there because it was empty and it's never going to be filled unless someone else fills it? Will you tell them about Jesus and about God? Our world is lost and so many people of it are lost. And we need to speak loudly about Genesis chapter 1 and the value of us in God's creation. He sent his son to untwist and unmask and unmar that image so that we could know who we were properly for the first time, perhaps. Should we pray? And then um, let's just spend a moment in prayer, just as we are. And just hear that question that I said at the end. I'm thinking about all that's been said. You might not be a Christian in this room this morning. You may not yet, or at home, you may not yet have given your life to Jesus you might realize that, yeah, I have been looking for love. I have been looking for community and purpose. And, and I do keep getting it wrong. I do keep going after the wrong people or the wrong experiences. And, and why is that? Why do I keep doing that? Don't kid yourself that there's another experience or another thing around the corner that will be any better. Because the person you need is God himself. Who are you allowing to define you? Just be honest with God and say, Lord, I, I've been doing it all wrong. Maybe if you're not a Christian in this room, today's the day you need to ask Jesus into your life. And let's pray. Pray this prayer with me if you want to become a Christian. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you lived and died. I believe you rose again. I believe you're God's son. I believe you paid the price for my sin. And so I'm sorry for things that I've done that I shouldn't have done. I turn from my sin. I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. And maybe you're a Christian in this room as well. We still pray. Um, and maybe you've allowed that, that image of God that Jesus died to untwist and unmar. It's been cleaning progressively in your life. Maybe you've allowed it to be retwisted by the voices in your head or the voices around you or your past hurts. It's time just to let it go. So just pray now and say, Lord, I let it all go. Lord, forgive me 
for undoing the work that your son died to start. Ask God to close your ears to unhelpful, unkind words that shouldn't be in the life of a Christian anyway. Father, I lift up all that we've said, Lord, just in these last few minutes. And Lord, as we come to a time of communion now, Lord, just carry on doing um, that work in us, Lord. Carry on speaking to us, I pray. And Lord, just be with us, we pray, as we just think through who we are. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just spend a moment in prayer. Thank God that, that that sin that we battle with every day, it's far-reaching effects, not just into our future, but into our past are undone through Christ. Even that moment when we knew nothing of the world, when we were so small, even the effects there are undone. We're made new, we're made right, we're called children again. Children of Abba Father. Thank God for that. Speak to your Father in heaven now. Oh God, we thank you for this morning. Oh, we wish we had more time. We wish, Lord, we could have much longer to just sit in your presence and reflect and question and, and grow. But Lord, we've come to the end of our time together. But you're the infinite God. And Lord, you plant seeds in our hearts that grow, Lord, even when we're not watching. Do that this morning, I pray. Plant seeds in our hearts. Grow us, we pray. Even as we leave this place now, may we know your grace in a fresh way. May we feel that spring in our step because, Lord, we know who we are finally. Sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Is there anything better? Lord, I ask for your blessing on this service now as we finish. Be with us as we leave now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless. Have a, have a good week.